Welcome to What's Happening, the podcast. This week we are on episode three, which is great. I'm starting to get a bit of a flow, a little bit of a understanding of how to better podcast. So this episode's a little short of an episode this week because I've changed kind of how I record and upload and do all that sort of good stuff. So I, did, I was didn't want to be too hard on myself and I just wanted to do, do something a little bit easier. So we are talking today about the craze of mindfulness. Now some people might think this is a modern thing, uh, a niche word, something that you know certain people of a certain price you know, who make a certain amount of money, terminology they use, but we're going to look into it today. So unless you've been living in outer space or in their wilderness in the past, say, two decades, you will have been involved in some form of mindfulness and probably not known it. So as measured by Google searches in 2021, interest in the East Asian tradition has risen substantially in the past two decades. It is very popular in America with more America, Americans practicing either yoga or meditation than before. Heads of companies say it increases innovation and productivity and A-list celebrities publicize it to being the key to their success, inner happiness and health. Especially living so especially now living in this post-COVID world that we're in, we find ourselves in, a lot of people have been turning to mindfulness. The word mindfulness has become mainstream and a popular form of wellness, which is another one of those words of the, of the wellness practice. So before we go any further, what is Mindfulness. So, what does mindfulness mean beyond the word? So, mindfulness is the practice of being in the current moment, not worrying about the past or thinking about the future. Mindfulness is practiced by doing meditation or yoga, taking as little as 10 minutes a day to just focus on being in the moment. This is not a newly created phenomenon. Mindfulness originated from ancient Eastern and Buddhist philosophy and dates back around 2,500 years. The concept of mindfulness has been inspired by many and John Kobat Zinn and his colleagues at the University of Massachusetts have been influential in establishing it in the Western world. I'm probably going to get pronunciations of names muddled up and not great today but we'll go with I'll do my I'll do as best as I can. So John Kabat-Zinn born John Kabat born June 5th 1944 is an American professor emirates of medicine and the creator of the stress reduction clinic and the center of mindfulness in medicine healthcare and the society at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Kabat-Zinn was a student of Zen Buddhist teachers 
and the founding member of the Cambridge Zen Centre. His practice of yoga and studies with Buddhist teachers led him to integrate their teachings with scientific findings. He teaches mindfulness, which is which he says can help people cope with stress, anxiety, pain and illness. The stress reduction program created by Kabat-Zinn Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, also known as, as MBSR, is offered by medical centres, hospitals and health maintenance organisations and is described in his book, Full Catastrophic Living. So, quote, when I started, there was virtually no sense of mindfulness whatsoever, Kabat-Zinn said during a Big Think Plus interview. Part of my original aim was to use the clinic as a kind of pilot to see whether we could catch people falling through the cracks of the healthcare system and challenge them to do something for themselves that no one else on the planet could possibly do for them, including their physicians to move in a direction of greater well-being and healing. End quote. Kabat-Zinn's studies signed up participants for an intensive eight-week MBSR program. The workshop included formal instruction in mindfulness techniques, group meetings and homework between sessions. It aimed to help participants develop a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. While Kabat-Zinn analysed how that affected their mental and physical wellness and this pilot programme showed promise. Kabat-Zinn's research and later studies found that mindfulness practitioners enjoyed less stress, anxiety and depression. Further, further studies have since identified mindfulness as a potential tool for reducing chronic pain, lowering blood pressure, aiming adding aiding insomnia and lessening the body's inflammatory response to stressors. Preliminary research has even suggested that mindfulness can make us less racially biased and lengthen our tel telomeres, a chromosomal region that stands as a biomarker of human aging. So, as I'm going to talk about later, is that some people radically say what what mindfulness can do, and um, in some ways over advertise and over promise, and it's probably coming from these findings and stretching what they can do. So, I should disclose that I have done a diploma. In fact, in mindfulness, and I have trained in meditation up to practitioner level. So I might be a little biased, but I don't think really that I am. I have MS, I was diagnosed with MS, and I wanted to find something that could help could help me. So I came across mindfulness. Um, 
heard all these wonderful things, you know, what it could do, what it can't do, etc. And I thought, well, I'll give it a go. So I find that I, if I, my pain levels are past what I normally am dealing with and, you know, find them a little bit stressful to cope with. And if I do a little bit of mindfulness and keep that going, it does help. However that works, it does help. doesn't take it away and um, it's not going to cure it, but it does give me a little bit more ease. So some say that it is a means of getting into the political bodies, as in your, as in if you practice mindfulness, then you will not question the powers that be. You'll not question what um, politicians and what the governments are doing. Um, some say that you know it. It makes you give in to that type of world. Um, I feel that that's maybe too basic an interpretation of the use and practice of mindfulness. You know, these people are alluding to the leaders of countries. Um, and governments are using mindfulness as maybe to create a submissive general public that will be that will do whatever they want. Um, I'm sure they would love that, but I'm not sure that is exactly what's happening. So, with the epic increase and spotlight that is now on the wellness and mindfulness industry, everybody is coming out of the woodwork. You're getting influencers, self-helpers, gurus, and wellness practitioners looking for their slice of the pie of what has become over a $9 billion industry. So I feel that it is a good idea to stay honest about what you know mindfulness can do and to not get carried away in to the world of fantasy and over-promising. So some promise that mindfulness can unlock your inner potential, bend reality to your desires, fast-track you to a higher state of consciousness. Um, I'm almost sure that Scientology also use elements of mindfulness as part of what they do and in their doctrine. Um, I'm not going to go too much into Scientology today because I'll definitely be covering them at some point. Um, but when we test the results in a more scientific way, the results are somewhat different. So, a systematic review of meta-analysts published by JAMA Internal Medicine looked at 47 randomized clinical trials which with active controls totaling 3,515 participants it found moderate evidence of mindfulness, easing anxiety, depression and pain, low evidence of assured stress and significant evidence of reduced substance abuse and poor eating habits and no evidence that mindfulness was any better than ever any other forms of treatment options. Similar results can be found across the scientific lecture. Another meta-analyst found that slightly larger but still moderate effect sizes still another 
this one looking at mindfulness-based therapy, found a moderate effect size, but not one larger than other therapies or pharmacological treatments. As for individual studies, these can be limited in their predictive value. That study show, showing mindfulness reduced radical bias, for example, had only 72 participants, all of them Midwest college students. Mindfulness research also faces methodological concerns such as over-reliance on self-reporting questionnaires and even struggles with basic terms. There is no universally accepted definition of mindfulness and few studies today follow Kabat-Zinn's strict MBSR programme. All of this has led researchers to take a hopeful yet cautionary stance on mindfulness and its benefits. Unfortunately, these scientific findings have grown with each telling on social media, talk shows and self-help books. In the wilds of our capitalist culture, freed from the printing effects of science checks and balances, the practice is no longer a proper stress management tool but the ultimate stress reliever it's no longer a complement to traditional therapies but a more potent treatment than painkillers celebrities use mindfulness the no, celebrities that use mindfulness are Lady Gaga, Ellen DeGeneres, Kobe Bryant, Giselle Bündchen Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Russell Simmons, Heather Graham, Sting, Oprah, Hugh Jackman, Martin Scorsese, Madonna, Orlando Bloom, Hard Stern, Russell Brand and 50 Cent. CEOs the practice are Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn, William Clay Ford Jr. of Ford, Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post, Joe Rogan of the Joe Rogan Show, Bill Gates of Microsoft, and Bob Steller of Green Mountain Coffee. So what, basically what they were saying is that tests have been done, but they're not exactly the same tests that Kabat-Zinn does. They're not using his program as strict as he uses it. They're not getting test subjects from across enough ranges so basically what they're saying is the test subjects tend to be a similar race or 90% or 80% of one race and their test findings are not going to be like Kabat-Zinn's they're going to be very very different and that they have been very different. For me from it is also, sorry, they also said that it is no different than any other kind of treatment that can be given. But if it is as effective as painkillers, is if it then to me that is a good thing. Because would you rather meditate a couple of times a day? Or continue to put something into your body that over time is going to damage your body, can affect your liver, can affect your kidneys, or do something that can give you the same relief, also clear your head at the same time, and give you more health benefits rather than affect you negatively in the long, long run. 
and that is something that, that I would rather do. So we have to remember that mindfulness is a tool we can use but it won't work for everybody all the time and it won't work for everything all the time. It should not be used as a form of self-medication. If you have something wrong with you, you do have to go to the doctor. It can be used on top of that. You know, come home, do it. Do it every morning, make it a daily practice. But don't do it as something that you're going to, you know, this is going to cure you. Though it has worked for many people, it might not for others. And by practicing, you probably won't become a mental superhuman. The world will still be, in many ways, a shit show. No matter how many breaths you focus on, it can help to reduce the stress levels that you feel in doing, doing so you will become more adapt to stressful, stressful situations. I think that mindfulness has become so popular over the last few years because we have so many distractions and stress in our everyday lives. Our minds are all over the place with no focus and doing mindfulness or yoga for 10 or more minutes daily gives you focus and a moment to just clear the rubbish out of your mind so you can think more clearly about things instead of reacting. You're contemplating, which is for a lot of us very hard and we are programmed to react. Where if you do mindfulness, it is about taking a moment, clearing your mind, getting into a place where thoughts, information is coming in, you're processing it, it's going out, and then you can calmly come up with what you want to do about it. So thank you for listening today. This was quite an easy, um, short episode today. I'm working on two episodes that are, you know, taking a bit of time, having to do a bit of research, having to read some books just to get a good overview of what it is I want to talk about. Hopefully I'll get one out next week or it'll be the week after, but I'm getting one out, the next one out as soon as possible. Keep with me. Thank you so much and join me next time for What's Happening.